and Jacqueline and welcome back to another episode of Black and Yellow. Today we are going to be talking about actually we are talking about a question I had to Alana (laughs) which is Alana question for you. Yes. Why do black people like their meat always well done? <laughs> not always. Not. I'm sure there's exceptions and, you know, there are people who like their meat medium rare or a rare who are black. But for the most part, why? <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. There, so I'll start by saying this. So Jack and I met working in the restaurant industry. And we sure did. <laughs> this is a question that Jackie asked me. I feel like many years ago when we first met working at Whitehorse and then it came up recently, not too long ago. And for me, it's always been pretty common. Like, I never noticed that black people ordering food well done or meat, I should say specifically, (laughs) well done uh, was a thing. Uh It's just rare meat was never a thing that my family ate. Yeah, it's normal. As a side note, exactly. And as a side note, like, let me just start off by saying black people are not a monolith. People like their meat in all different ways. But ultimately, what you were asking is it seems like by and large, when African-American people would come into the restaurant that we worked at and ordered steak, it was always well done. Like, it was never even really a question. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, in prep for this episode, let me start off by saying that there is not a ton of research done on meat uh, temperature preparedness. Okay. This was an interesting episode to research for because it's largely based in sort of opinion as opposed to um, hardcore fact, if you will. Right. There was a lot of people echoing your same sentiment that I came across online. So to be clear, Americans order their steak as per a survey done by Longhorn Steakhouse so from the dates of May 30th 2016 to May 21st 2017 Longhorn Steakhouse uh, amassed all of this data and came to the conclusion that 2.5% of Americans enjoy their meat rare 225 enjoy their meat medium rare 37.5% enjoy their meat medium. 28 sorry, 25.8% enjoy their meat medium well and an 11.7% enjoy it well done. Question to you, Jack. Yes. How I I realize that you are moving towards a plant-based lifestyle. Yes, a whole food plant-based lifestyle, correct. When you would eat meat, how would you order it just out of curiosity? Medium rare. So medium rare, that's a little pink in the middle. Sorry, guys. I'm a 19-year vegetarian, so this is, like, way out of my <laughs> But um, so just, just to be honest, is that the, like, there's a nice amount of cook around it and a little bit of pink in the middle? Is that what that is? So I, I would consider medium rare to be, like, half cooked. So, like, um, yeah, so it's, like, semi I mean like fully cooked on the outside right like there's no rawness just showing and then once you cut it um there is like some pink and then a little bit of the raw like in the middle so it's like right in between it all okay so, yes, a little I bit think... of a little bit of pink and um more pink than being medium well 
Ah, uh, okay. I think so I there understand is a, what there you're is saying. a little bit of rawness. Got it. So immediately when you ask me the question of why do black people order their meat medium or order their meat well done, automatically the thought of eating raw meat for a lot of black Americans can can get a reaction that's something akin to what the fuck? Yeah. Why would I ever eat raw meat? Right. Like it's I mean, gross. Yeah, because for black people in the United States, and I would think black cultures outside of the United States writ large, if we're talking about like Caribbeans or Africans, we all live in and exist in cultures where our meat is very well cooked. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If you think about soul food, the idea of soul food is like low and slow and long, Mm -hmm. like cook the meat till it's falling off the bone. Or if you think about a a type of food like barbecue, Mm -hmm. which is all about having that good outside crispy char and therein by virtue, making it very cooked thoroughly. Right. Like black, black men are Black men in particular like their meat um, heavy on the char. Yeah, yeah, Which has some links towards um, various types of cancers that African-American men are prone to. Right. And some of these types of cancers are linked to carcinogen exposure to being exposed to certain kinds of carcinogens that you can get through very well done charred black meat. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So if we're talking specifically... And we're talking temperature, if you will, for a second. So rare meat is that's that like cool red center. I'm assuming that's like it tastes kind of metallic. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, it tastes like blood, like irony, like a lot of iron. Therein is another reason why I'm sure a lot of (laughs) black people don't want rare meat. Like, uh, who wants meat that tastes like metal and iron? That sounds awful. Who wants meat that tastes like blood? Yeah, who wants that? Who wants to look at a piece of meat bleeding on the plate? I once had a college roommate tell me, yeah, tell me very directly, I want to know that my meat is dead before I put it in my mouth, (laughs) which, look, fair enough. Um, So rare meat is essentially, it falls at the temperature of between 120 degrees and 130 degrees. So that's like raw as possible minus what beef tartare which is totally rare right right the first time let me tell you side note first of all i have two side notes first of all (laughs) (laughs) interrupting you i'm so sorry Um, no problem i think it's funny that we're talking about i I have with this topic that i'm i mean i've eaten a lot of meat my entire life so i guess it's pretty valid but um you know i'm talking i'm talking to a 19 year year vegetarian and i myself transitioning to a whole place whole plant um food diet plant-based <laughs> second of all i'm in the same boat so um we all know i have bougie mouth and if totally and if y'all didn't know i have bougie mouth go listen to our bougie mouth episode because it's well and alive and it's thriving um yeah my dad was like a super foodie when i was um when i would go visit him in brazil and uh the first time I had like carpaccio, like tartar style, I was so grossed out. Um, I, I was, you know, I literally was eating flattened out pieces of cow, and I remember being nine years old and sitting there and looking at that thing and being like, "I'm about to." It's like eating raw eggs, you know. Like I would never think to do that, but like a uh, again, again, totally the like the yolk like being runny it's raw right now that i think about it 
Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm get it makes perfect sense. Black people also really enjoy their eggs like hard, like completely cooked. Um, <laughs> this episode's all about yeah. Eggs and meat. Um, I actually never thought about that, but you are totally right. Yeah, it's interesting. Like I remember when I was working with you at Whitehorse, and we had you know we'd have brunches, and I would always ask, "Oh, how would you like your eggs?" And they would always say hard. And I'd be like, I didn't even know hard was a real thing. Like, I, I sincerely didn't know that you could get your eggs hard because I, like you said, I, that wasn't normal for me. So I didn't really know that that existed. Um, mm-hmm. So the first time I heard it, I was kind of like, wow, like, y- you know, your cook, your egg will still be soft. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> right, right, exactly. Um, but yeah, I, I, I understand that once, once I got past the rawness and actually like enjoyed the the uh softness of the meat that but i remember getting past that stage of the the rawness being actually quite gross because you're literally eating the blood and flesh of an animal yeah i mean i think when i think of things like tartar and carpaccio those dishes are very european yes those dishes for rich people (laughs) and but also i would assume you have to develop a palate for them yeah you do right like i would think that no one or or maybe there are people that out of the womb are like oh my god i just want raw cow flesh with tendons and membrane and, and blood and yum all that sounds great but i would assume that for most people getting to the point of liking to eat raw meat is a process. It is for sure. I would. I definitely agree with you. And in black culture, all of our shit is well cooked, as I stated earlier in this episode. But as a strange side note, I used to work at a barbecue restaurant for four years. This was deep, deep into my vegetarian lifestyle, <laughs> and I think because I had been vegetarian for so long, it didn't bother me. Like when I would tell guests, yeah, I don't eat meat. I'm a vegetarian. The immediate first question would be, oh, my God, aren't you ever tempted? And I was like, no, I've seen so many animal slaughter videos. I've seen all of this meat that you're eating come into the restaurant, be broken down and everything that goes into butchering. And um, I'm a firm believer if if you can't watch it and stomach those images, maybe you shouldn't stomach. the Yeah. And I will tell you, I cannot watch animal slaughter videos and stomach those images. So I walk my talk in this vein yeah, I and res- I don't stomach that. I totally respect you. Absolutely. I think that is the way to do it for sure. Yeah. Hate to sound preachy, guys, but that's just that's just me. That's just where I'm coming from with with meat. Um, Circling back. So medium rare. That's when the meat's a little bit seared on the outside. It's got a warm red center and it clocks in at about 130 to 140 degrees. Then you've got medium, which is a warm pink center, a touch of red, 140 to 150. And I think that medium is the if it's if you're going to like a legit steakhouse and you're not ordering like close to rare is medium the next popular temperature preparedness option uh yeah i would say so i would say uh hands down um people go to go for medium rare i mean every cut is different and some cuts shouldn't be medium rare of course um but yeah i would say like most more often than not medium rare is a chef's recommendation again that's not every cut some will say medium well some will say rare um 
And then I would say medium is um, about about right after that because you're kind of getting the best of both. You know, it's it's not going to be too over or it's not going to be too under because sometimes medium rare can be a little under and then you're going to take it back and finish cooking, which is better than it going over because once you go over, you have to get mm-hmm. a new piece of steak. Um, yeah. Ah, I see. I see. Because medium well, that's like the warm brown with, it's it's more brown than pink, and it's about 150 to 160 degrees. Yeah, it's internally, definitely uh, just pink. There's absolutely no no rawness. I would say. Got it. Because my boyfriend often orders medium well at restaurants, and his steaks never come to him medium well. They're always medium, always like I. It, it, he cannot get a piece of medium well steak to save his life. And quite frankly, I'm like, oh, just give it up. Like, just order medium or like order a whole different entree altogether but it seems like restaurants don't like medium well and don't like well done because well done is like cooked all the way through it's brown it's on the the um stat that i'm reading it essentially just says well done cross out might as well just order chicken (laughs) like that's how much people i guess restaurant people really despise well done meat and I think it was in the Anthony Bourdain memoir if I'm not mistaken that he jokingly writes about if someone were to have ordered a piece of a steak or a piece of meat well done at a restaurant sometimes chefs would hawk loogies on it I think that that was that uh book but all of that being said um there is a little bit of history surrounding meat preparedness and temperature preparedness so according to the food timeline if we go all the way back 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 to the caveman days uh temperature preparedness for meat really had to do with essentially just making the meat edible they weren't looking to have an amazing presentation or an amazing flavor to the meat. They just wanted to make sure that it was safe enough to eat. And nonetheless, the ancient Greeks and Romans, quote unquote, prescribed certain methods of preparation in accordance with their humoral theory of medicine. Wow. So for exactly right. So, for instance, uh, according to Hippocratic teachings, beef, quote, will agree best with those who use it well-bodied. And pork, quote, should be eaten without the skin and in a cold-ish state. Well, that sounds disgusting. (laughs) I'm just saying, like, that sounds... (laughs) That sounds gross. Can you imagine cold pork and pork skin, like, arriving at your table? That sounds so awful. Some people like cold food. Yeah, I guess. And I mean, I don't to each, nor do I, unless we're talking about food that I think should be intentionally. Yeah, yeah. Like a pasta salad, a caprese salad, ice cream, things of that nature. But um, cold pork skin. I don't know. (laughs) Um, But these aphorisms laid the groundwork for theories on preparation that developed in the following centuries. Now, if we're Honing in on America and our history of doneness, a large part of how we have arrived at what temperatures we like our meat done and how we decide whether meat is done or not, or I guess delicious or not, we can thank that to the meat thermometer. The meat thermometer totally changed the game when it came to 
making meat in America. So in the early 20th century, this invention brought about a giant cultural shift. The reliance on a gadget rather than instinct or experience to assess our meats. The thermometer was, pr- was promoted to home cooks as a tool of scientific precision. It was also an instrument of relaxation, something that freed you from worrying about misjudging the meat. Quote, a roast thermometer makes for carefree roasting. And that was a a byline and an advertisement in a 1952 edition of Fanny Farmer's famous cookbook. And so by the mid-century, temperature measurements were a common measure for cookbooks. So if you think about it, meat thermometers, when they came around, that was sort of our first step of, guidance um, to sort of yeah yes cook meat for different right right but also our first step of being detached mm. in terms of really like intimately understanding how we're supposed to prepare yeah. the meat because the meat thermometer came around you know you gave the opportunity to to 1950s housewives to um have one less thing to yeah, worry te- about technology you know what I, mean? I mean i mean we could that that is like a we could talk about everything as far as technology just sort of taking over and making things easier or better or more streamlined. But then also we lose the touch to how to actually maybe possibly do it completely, you know? Yeah. Yes. I couldn't agree mm-hmm. with you more. You said it perfectly. Mm-hmm. So in this uh, article from Slate, this author t- it takes a look back at cookbooks from the 60s and 70s to try and see the different temperature gauges. So, for instance, a leg of lamb was considered slightly rare at 160 to 165 degrees. And that was later classified as medium at only 135 to 145 mm. degrees. Yeah. Um, in 1979, in a cookbook recipe for leg of lamb, Craig Claiborne offered instructions for cooks who might, quote, wish the lamb to be well done. By the 1990 update to his classic cookbook, well done wasn't even an option. <laughs> so already, exactly, we're already starting to see the snobbery kind of um, rear its ugly head, if you will. Yeah, well, that's what I, I kind of touched on that earlier, how, um, you know, because evolution and because times had changed, we didn't, you know, machines were created refrigeration got better Mm -hmm. access to um electricity um we now like i said um we can afford or have the quality to enjoy raw meat because we can and i think out of necessity back then you couldn't if you had raw meat just lying around it would go bad you couldn't eat it you had to cook it all the way through you had to dry it you had to make jerky you know and i think with coming uh you know these as far as technology but as also as being a certain uh, class or status in society allowed you the opportunity then to create dishes like carpaccio or tartare, which never before could have been a thing because we didn't we didn't have the access to do that. Definitely, and I'm glad that you you touched on um, a societal. I'm sorry, a, a social economic um, factor in this because I think that you're absolutely right. Because along with Cla- Craig Claiborne and his amazing cookbook. There's one other chef you might know, a little-known woman named Julia Child. Oh, Julia. Julia Child. (laughs) She also uh, had a hand in sort of 
bringing over a more European style of food yeah. preparedness because totally. she was trained in France. And so <laughs> there was an adjustment period for, for American palates to adjust to more European styles of meat preparedness, specifically of underdone meat. And because of that, temperature guidelines fell even further. And so Times writer Florence Fabrant took note of this development in a 1982 article court called A Trend Towards Less Well Done. And Fabricant <laughs> called overcooking, quote, a tradition in this country, end quote, and attributed yep. the change to the influence of, quote, oriental and French nouvelle cuisines. So wow. essentially, Florence is saying those oriental people and those French people, they're bringing over these different types of, of cuisine, these different types of how to prepare meat. And that's also having a further effect on how Americans like their meat. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. She also connected the trend to the new, to the then new vogues for crisp, tender vegetables and for raw foods like sushi. Yeah, I mean, it makes perfect sense as the, you know, uh, industries and like a socioeconomic uprise, the economy, everything kind of going upwards. It's interesting how you can kind of correlate that to how certain foods and certain trends became developed and the possibilities of those even existing. Definitely. Um, yeah, and I only remember thinking that because like if you don't actually, let's say you and I, we were never... With and I'm so grateful. Maybe we did in a past life, but we've never known what it was like to not have refrigeration, right? Like that that's never yes. been a thing. Like yeah. my like my mom, even my mom, my mom's time, she said that they wouldn't um they wouldn't refrigerate their leftovers. They would leave oh. their leftovers. Yeah, they would leave their leftovers out in like this ventilated cabinet which, you know, acted as like you know, protection against flies, which I've mm -hmm. seen a lot of in like old homes and like museums. Um, so yeah, it'd be kind of, it would be this like ventilated, almost like just have like a screen, you know, but like with doors or like cabinets. Um, so no flies could get through, but there would be ventilation. And the next day they would thoroughly heat up all their leftovers and eat it. Hmm. Yeah, and I mean, nowadays, you know, people who weren't exposed to that kind of life would say, like, oh, you're going to get sick. Well, oh, right, yeah. you know, there's diseases. Oh, there's parasites. And I understand, like, the reason why you possibly couldn't eat raw meat either is, like, there's poss possibly parasites and bugs in there, you know, versus, like, a vegetable, maybe not as much. So so I completely understand um, why people wouldn't want to eat the raw meat. <laughs> And then, and then as things, uh, as we got access to, you know, uh, safety, cleanliness, uh, you know, all kinds of more of the hygiene side of meat, because with with meat you have to be extremely hygienic. Uh, you know, why then well done would become less of a trend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I also think that we're in the time trend of the eighties. In terms mm. of this specific research, and I think we also have to keep in mind that eating meat rare wasn't really only just about evolving taste. It was also a way of uh, signaling something about yourself. Maybe that you were sophisticated. Yes. Maybe that you were well-traveled, well-cultured. Educated. And that, yeah. And if mm. you could tolerate or even enjoy um, rare meat, then you were... You're a sophisticated lady. 
Mm, I see. Yeah, definitely. It's so interesting how the fascinations between how you eat, what you eat, totally tells you, not always, but for the most part, tells you if this person is X, Y, and Z. Um, the correlation between, between the two is pretty pretty interesting. I'd yeah, say. exactly. Um, however, Times writer, pulling it more into the modern day, uh, New York Times writer, I'm sorry, no, just Times writer Christine Mulk says that we are now living in the world of, quote, the meat hipster. And Christine self-deprecatingly described herself in a recent article about mobile slaughterhouses. And she talks about how meat hipsters glorify the lost art of butchery. Oh, jeez. Yeah, they take classes on how to cut up whole hogs, and then they cook their meat. They like it really raw. For a sense of the tone, um, there's a a great excerpt from the River Cottage Meat book, and it's in the section called How Pink. And the writer (laughs) argues that, quote, bloody as hell is frigid cold. So that's essentially what he's saying. Like, that's how you should like your meat, in its rawest, rarest, bloodiest state. Wow. I mean, yeah, there is so there's like people who are obsessed with this kind of stuff, people who make whole careers on this, people who develop restaurants and techniques and systems all based around these things involving meat and temperature and they become obsessed. Yeah, but I also think that it's like a there's a snobbery to it. And I think through yes. that snobbery, it's like low key, like I don't want to say low-key racism, but it's like, oh, if you don't like your meat raw, then you must You're, you, you must be a culture, an yeah. uncultured fool. Yeah. How could you not like yeah. it raw? So Totally. Yeah. So the meat hipster movement is very much alive and well, but I think a big part of why certain African American people don't like their meat raw uh, has a lot to do with what you said about sanitation and food and foodborne illnesses. And this epidemic began in the 80s when we became aware of a whole new host of dangerous pathogens, which emerged for reasons including antibiotic overuse and factory farming. So soon the USDA began to offer home cooks safety guidelines. And these days, cookbooks feature charts listing two sets of temperatures. So all of this leads me to circle back to the original question, which is, why do black people like their meat well done? Well, first things first, I can tell you that cleanliness is a big portion. Not getting sick is a big portion of the reason that African-American people don't do well done meat. It's just not common for us. I think also if you're looking at lower income communities where, you know, the ability to buy really nice cuts of meat fresh from the butcher is less and less of a reality. Yeah, I can see that. You don't want to eat undercooked, not amazing quality meat. At least I wouldn't want to do that. Yeah, I completely agree. Because if you're, let's say, not eating a type of cut or even pieces or scraps of something that's, first of all, not intended to be cooked well done, you know, you can make, I mean, not intended to be cooked medium rare or rare. You can cook anything well done, cut it up really finely, throw some seasoning, some sauce, put it in a sandwich, put it over salad, put it in pasta. You can make that taste amazing. So when is the Jacqueline um, Chung Young cookbook coming out? Like, just <laughs> just curious. Um, Fall of 2025, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. 
<laughs> It'll be all about how to create your own bougie Ooh. mouth. Um, <laughs> now I have to hold myself be accountable like, for that. Fall 2025, um, be looking out. But yeah, I'm... Right, I yeah, I'm thinking on like you know my mom's a chef, so I've been around cooking my whole life, and I'm thinking literally like if I only had if I had no choice, but I only had like a certain type of meat, my choice wouldn't be to do it medium rare or rare. I would definitely get creative with it and maximize the full potential of the meat. Oh, absolutely! And look, nobody wants a rare preparation of manager special meat like (laughs) you know what I mean like no thanks I'll pass I'm actually not that hungry anyways right (laughs) I think also another reason for it is just familiarity I think as human beings black yellow brown white or otherwise we we learn by watching Mm-hmm. And I think in this particular case, for a lot of African-Americans, we have watched our older generations at restaurants order their meat well done. Yeah, imitation. And, imitation is is an art form in itself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, like, you know, I when I ate meat, I didn't necessarily go through a quote-unquote steak phase. Yeah, neither did I. I. Su- yeah, but I suppose when I had steak, it was well done because that was how my father liked to cook it at home and how he ordered at restaurants. I don't think I've ever actually seen my mom order a steak at a restaurant. So her, I can't really speak towards. But um, yeah, I think it's it's about what's familiar. And if you're used to growing up seeing nothing but well done pieces of meat on your plate can you imagine how jarring it would then be to get a medium or a medium rare piece of steak bleeding on your plate (laughs) to me that just sounds like trauma and ptsd like waiting to happen (laughs) oh that's so funny yeah yeah you're you're absolutely right i can i can see now once i can once i get into this and start to shift my perspective or put myself in your shoes then or not your shoes specifically but you know a type of shoe that is that (laughs) um I I completely understand yeah I I'm definitely way more um because like you said initially most of my judgments were always like what the heck like you're ruining the piece of me and then you know, and then it's like, but there's more than that. I don't think people are choosing to do well done because they want to ruin their piece of meat. So I... <laughs> I don't think that that's the goal that people have when going in to sit down for a nice dinner. Right, exactly. My thoughts, my thoughts exactly. So, um, yeah, I'm very grateful I was able to ask this question and become educated and have more compassion towards it all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you think about it, like Americans eat 25 billion pounds of beef in the United States that's per a year. A lot of meat. That's a lot of cows that Oof. are being uh, slaughtered and butchered down. Oh, like that's a cows. lot of meat. And if you you take that stat and you also in, if we're talking specifically about African Americans, we're looking at like healthcare options that are available to let's say lower income African Americans and lower income black communities. Black families are not trying to risk their children or themselves being in poor health when there's already so much stacked against them to go for a medium rare piece of meat because the white gaze is shaming them into doing so. (laughs) We don't have the time. And we quite frankly don't have the energy either. 
yeah absolutely i totally agree it takes it takes a lot and it's like you know it's it's the things that you don't see that affect you it's no it's the tiny things that that start to stack up yeah so i hope this was um informative and answered something of a question because in reality there's like a couple of different uh opinions on this question but they all sort of zero back to food safety and preparedness uh just it's typically like out of our cultural realm and who wants to eat raw cheap cuts of meat yeah i totally 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 understand thank you for shedding light for sure and low-key i've often wondered if white people actually really like eating beef tartare or if that's some like sophisticated i'm rich bitch so i eat raw meat because i've got this sophisticated palate as opposed to actually liking raw meat i've always just wondered that yeah and then i actually in my defense i don't i don't i don't mean to like try to change anyone but i i know that our our bodies aren't meant to be we're not carnivores you know like there's a reason why we don't have we don't have like really sharp teeth we have flat teeth you know like we're Mm -hmm. not meant to like be eating raw and giant like chinese people don't eat like if you that's i never grew up eating steak chinese people eat every type of meat that we eat is like super thinly sliced and always stir fried with something you know, in that sense, like generally, Ooh, you don't when you about that. Right. When you think steak, you don't think Asian. You think American. Right. No. Totally. Um, so, you know, we generally don't eat a lot of meat in that sense as far as like giant big chunks, because, again, for Asian people, you know, a lot of them were farmers. A lot of them couldn't didn't have couldn't afford to eat a bunch of big pieces of meat like that. Um so, you know, it's interesting to think about the history and how it's evolved. And I'm now I'm sure there's a ton of Asian people who eat steak because um, we're in the 21st century. But um, but yeah, I I I totally understand um, where it would all come from. Yeah. You know, a little bit of understanding goes a long way. So oh, sure does. The next time that you're at a restaurant and you see a black individual order their uh, steak well done, you let them be. Because they ain't doing shit to you, okay? Let them eat their their tough piece of meat quietly. Their teeth are not your concern. Our teeth are not your concern. Exactly. (laughs) But I think that that wraps it up for this episode. I'm liking these light, uh, uh, what would I want to listen to on the beach episodes? Right? Yeah, like super just, hey, here we are. We're going to talk a little bit, let you into our lives. Hello, hello, yada, yada. And then have a wonderful day. (laughs) (laughs) That was my little, I did like a little dance move. I was like shimming and like moving my shoulders. (laughs) I'm very, very glad to hear that. Well, thanks for tuning in, guys. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Alana Webster at Renegade of Fun on the Gram. I'm Jacqueline Chung Young on the gram. We're also on Instagram at Black and Yellow Podcast. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Um, please rate, review, subscribe. We love to hear what your um, your thoughts are about any episodes or this episode, how you like your meat or eggs. Um, yeah, guys, have a good day. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.